text is in our scripture reading this morning. We began this theme on our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We'll begin there in Luke chapter 2. And I want us to, the text there, of course, to begin with verse 46. And Mary said, notice there that she said, some refer to this as a song, but uh, this is more likely a prayer. It's very similar to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And your cross-reference may have reference to that there. But this is a prayer, and it's so noteworthy that Mary's heart, at this young age, she's a young girl, so ready to praise the Lord, so much doctrine, so much scripture, the prophecies within her, that this would readily be at her tongue. We notice that the Holy Spirit filled uh, with Elizabeth, and whenever the Holy Spirit comes, truth comes. She spoke that, uh, that Mary would... Be, have to be the handmaid of the Lord and bring forth the Messiah. And again, the Spirit in verse 47 where Mary says, my, uh, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden where the Holy Spirit comes. We never see pride and haughtiness, but humility and wonder that the Lord would regard us at all. She's very humble about all of this. He's regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Mary knew exactly what was taking place. She knew that uh, the esteemed position of being chosen to bear in her body, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know that we've been chosen to offer our bodies a living sacrifice as well. Holy and acceptable to bear in our body the marks, as Paul would say, if it came to that, for the honor and the glory of our Lord. He hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is high hath done great things, uh, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. She's prophesying here of what the Lord Jesus will one day do when he comes to rule and reign. Do you notice that the edicts and the decrees of God can be spoken of in the past because they're just as sure as if they've already taken place? We know that literally all the mighty have not been put down, all the unbelievers, but they shall be. King Jesus will come to rule and reign from David's throne. He hath filled the hungry with good things. All this describing the glorious reign of the Savior, the Messiah. The Jews, those that remnant, humbly expecting the Messiah to come and set up his kingdom. There was a remnant of believers, and the rich he had sent away empty. This grace, this gift that the Messiah brings, does not have a price tag on it. The price tag is there with his own merit, his own precious blood that was shed to purchase it. No rich can come today to buy this great, great wealth. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Notice how long these prophecies will last, how long the reign of Jesus will last forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and return to her own house. Praise the Lord for all of these glorious things that are revealed to us at the birth of our Savior. Let us ask the Lord to bless His Word. And Lord, as we consider Mary's song, You have put a new song in our heart, those of us who have been brought to repentance and faith. And Lord, we uh, wonder at our own estate that You would come to seek and to save us. 
As the choir sang, God so loved, he gave. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be overflowing with this, with the love and praise to what you've done, but ever willing to tell it, to convey it to others. The great unspeakable gift. Thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift that you've lavished upon us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. In our text, we have the interactions between two of the most famous mothers in all of history. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of our Lord. Both of these women are expecting their first child. We have the the first moments of their meeting recorded here in detail. It's always interesting to me the things that the Holy Spirit highlights he gives great detail, in, uh, sometimes in conversations, at the way things were done. Scant detail in some of the very deepest things. Just a few verses to describe the creation. And yet here he preserves for us this conversation between these two expectant women. All the world goes on as it does, day by day, without thought of the holy and miraculous things that God is silently performing. Things that... Uh, unseen to the human eye, spiritual work within the heart as his truth goes forth and as people ponder the things of the Lord, as prayers are offered and intercession is made for one another and then the Spirit begins to work and mighty things are done which the world takes no, no note of whatsoever. It's seemingly insignificant and out-of-the-way places. The Bible tells us because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men, And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see, your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the, the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are looked down upon, despised, Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." We have two humble women here glorying in the Lord in the great miraculous things that he is doing in both their lives. This interaction of a few moments was so important that God recorded it in his word for our learning and our admonition down to this very day. We might wonder why Mary goes to to live with Elizabeth for three months as is recorded here for us. The Bible tells us there in chapter 1, in verse 36, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Mary receives this news, this amazing news that Elizabeth is expecting, even as she receives the news that she is bearing the Messiah. And so she goes to this older and respected godly woman, this relative, who herself has has received a miracle from the Lord. Mary knew that Elizabeth was barren, not had a child, and old. And so these miracles that, that God is working in both these ladies' lives, God's telling of this to Mary through the angel Gabriel was to encourage her and to strengthen her 
her own faith and let her know that God can do anything. We notice there, the scripture says, with God, in, in verse 37, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Oh, what a verse that is. You ought to keep that where you can see it every day, especially where you're praying in that secret place, maybe in your prayer notebook or in the flyleaf of your Bible. Jot those words down as you bring those requests before the throne of grace. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing. Nothing. I hope that encourages us this morning that, that in our situation, no matter how dire it may be, how complex it may be, uh, uh, even though we might not understand all that he's doing with God, nothing shall be impossible. God can give a child to a barren woman or give a child to a woman who never had relations with a man. With God, nothing is impossible. This is the God before whom we stand today in worship, before whom we have to do. As soon as Mary saw Elizabeth, she received the blessing and encouragement and her faith was strengthened. I think this interaction between these two godly women ought to be a picture of what it's like for any time two of God's people to meet. We ought to, the Bible tells us in Hebrews where it encourages us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Do you know a vital reason, the first thing, of course, that comes to mind is for the worship of God and instruction in His Word, which is so primarily important. But also in that, that verse, it tells us to exhort and encourage one another. No two believers ought to ever come in contact without each receiving a blessing and being encouraged in their walk with the Lord. Now, I know that we all carry heavy burdens. And sometimes we think our circumstances, our burdens are unique and are heavier than anyone else's. But I want you to know that not, there's not a person in this room who is not serving the Lord with burdens. Do I have the right congregation this morning? Serving the Lord with maybe physical infirmities or, or maybe in a strained relationship or with a, a dream that has not come true or, or a dire work situation. We're all serving the Lord in our own unique areas, our corner of the vineyard with uh, situations and burdens. And uh, even when those wonderful things happen and we share it with others, we as believers ought to be equally encouraged and blessed by someone's good fortune as if it happened to us. These, both these women who've received miraculous news, one does not outshine the other, but both mutually meet and, and, and wonder and encourage one another. May it ever be when God's people, whether it's at, here in, our, in the church or out in the workplace or wherever you come together, please know that part of your duty is to be a blessing to others. And it can be a simple way, just by a, a touch or to let them know you're praying for them. And just the interactions, our conversations ought to be encouraging and uplifting to one another. Well, the, the house of the Lord is a place where our faith can grow. And we, wherever we go, we ought to go to be encouraged and to be an encouragement to others in building up our faith. We notice that Mary went to Elizabeth for confirmation. And sometimes because the inner work of the Lord, these spiritual things that he's doing in our hearts and lives, we need confirmation, assurance about these things. Now, isn't there something that there was an older and godly lady? Of all the people that Mary could go to, she went to this relative, Elizabeth. She also went for consolation. Not many people would understand her circumstance. In fact, everyone would find it hard to understand. Even Elizabeth was married. Here, Mary was betrothed and and this amazing thing that had happened, but, but the, the normal mind, the natural mind cannot comprehend these things. 
And most would absolutely reject them. It is impossible for this woman, to this girl, this young lady, to be expectant without human relations, a virgin. And so can you can imagine the talk? I can imagine within her own family, the Bible, though it is silent, there must have been, uh, un- she may have gone because of the circumstances in her own home. Maybe her parents did not understand or believe what she was saying. And so for a period of time, the record tells us that Mary goes to find consolation and encouragement and to confer with Elizabeth. The people of Nazareth, no doubt, would reject her story as the news spread. There would be harassment. There would be gossip. They would be not rejoice with, the, uh, with one they thought was lying and, of course, could not be telling the truth. Mary had to, to tell someone. She had to confirm, uh, give her thoughts to someone. Oh, we all all ought to be that kind of person that someone could come to when no one else would understand that situation. No doubt Elizabeth had always been a godly encouragement to Mary, a pattern of good works. And I think of that portion of Scripture where Paul instructs you older women that the aged women teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands and their children. There's a whole list of things there that need to be taught and lived out and instructed. And all of you older women are to be a pattern of good works. And there are young ladies here in our church, young wives. They need encouragement. They need instruction. And so that works two ways, doesn't it? You older ladies ought to be willing, and you younger women ought to be willing to receive the instruction that these older women have. And we see this mutual humility here. Mary coming conferring with Elizabeth in this sweet, sweet time of worship. Who can know what all happened in those three months, but we know it was a blessed time. Mary went to the one person who she knew would understand and help her. Both of these women had been singled out by the Lord in an unusual and particular way. Always go to a godly person for spiritual advice. Sometimes when things happen, we go to get advice in the wrong place. People who have no idea what the ways of the Lord are or how the Holy Spirit works or how we should respond in difficult situations. Make sure that you, when you come to those crisis times or those times of unusual circumstances, that you seek out someone who knows what they're talking about. I'm amazed at God's people who sometimes seek advice from some of the most unlikely places. The people who know nothing about the working of the Lord, nothing about the way the Holy Spirit works. We ought not to, we're often met with skepticism as believers and doubt from the unbelieving world around us. There are very few people with which we can share our spiritual burdens, aren't there? Or who even understands the concerns and the cares and those things that are important to us and to make sure that, that uh, you seek the right kind of advice. Mary went to see Elizabeth for confirmation she went to see her for consolation but she also that during that she went for companionship two are better than one the scripture tells us and a threefold cord is not easily broken during that engagement or betrothal period the the man the woman uh, being married usually did not see each other in fact that was uh, they were kept apart for that whole time until the consummation of the marriage and so Women lived much more secluded lives in that day and time and place than, than men did and than, than even women do today. And Mary knew that she would find godly company with Elizabeth. We all should be careful about our companions, the company we keep. And the, the book of Proverbs gives us much advice and much wisdom along that line. 
But in chapter 1 and verse 6 describes the kind of woman Elizabeth was. Look there and note. And they were both righteous, she and Zacharias, her husband, both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. What a testimony. And that's not what Elizabeth writes about herself. It's not what someone else says about her, except it's what the Holy Spirit records about her. Righteous, one who'd been made righteous by repenting and believing in the Lord and walking in obedience. And then the, the last word of the verse sums it up, blameless. That does not mean that Elizabeth was perfect, but no charges held against her could stick. If someone said that everybody would know her, her testimony was such that that could not be Elizabeth, blameless. Nothing that could be said that her life did not honor and glorify the Lord. May I uh, remind you that this word is often used in the list of requirements of those who would serve the Lord in, in various capacities, but it ought to be the testimony of all of the Lord's children. Not that we're perfect, but that our hearts are set before the Lord. As God looked at, down at Job and reminded Lucifer, Satan, look at my servant Job. The same terminology, the same idea is given in his life. This is the intent of our character, of our lives, lived out before the Lord. Whether in secret or in public, people of our word, people of uh, righteousness and holiness. Now, Mary would be encouraged, blessed, and she would receive strength and faith and godly counsel from Elizabeth. The, the, Nazareth was about 60 to 70 or even more miles from Jerusalem. Elizabeth lived in the hill country above Jerusalem. And the rabbis wrote that she and Zacharias lived in the priestly city of Hebron, though we're not sure of that. That's where history tells us they lived. This would have been a long even more remarkable to Mary's going there, it would have been a long and arduous trip uh, for her to go from Nazareth to Hebron, uh, maybe even 80 miles away. And no doubt if her, she was a, a poor person, she probably made it on foot. And so we can imagine this sacrificial effort of hers to go and to be with Elizabeth. All of this is remarkable. It would have been easier just to stay where she was. But so great was this situation. So uh, she felt compelled and drawn uh, to go and be with Elizabeth during this period of time. If things aren't so easy or readily available, most people won't do them. Very little sacrifice is made in spiritual matters. But I tell you that I, I wonder if people often miss the blessing just, just short of, of continuing on and, and making the sacrifice and going the extra mile and being in the place of blessing and doing all that we can uh, to, so that the Lord can speak to us and encourage us as he did in Mary's heart and life. This was an effort on Mary's part. I want you to understand this. This goes in part of the, the character of the mother of our Lord. And no wonder she was chosen to, to bear uh, him. This was the, no effort on, on, it was an effort put forth on her part to make this trip to Elizabeth. But we notice what happens here when Mary arrives. We see there in verse 39 and verse 40, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And God blesses those whose hearts are turned toward him. The first words from Elizabeth are blessed in verse 42. And notice that Elizabeth didn't say that, that Mary was blessed above women. She says there in verse 42, Blessed art thou among women. Out of all the, the Jewish girls and young ladies that the Holy Spirit and the God the Father could have chosen, Mary was chosen, chosen out. The prophecy was given there in Genesis chapter 3. 
And it is said that among the believing remnant of the Jewish ladies, all the young girls wondered if they would be the mother of the Messiah. Notice there's no jealousy on Elizabeth's part. She might could have said, why, if I'm going to be, have a child of my old age, why couldn't I have been the mother of the Messiah? You see this holy reverence and awe, bowing to the Lord's will. There's a, a great lesson here for us that we bow before the will of God in our lives, what he allows, what he withholds, how he leads and guides us. And Elizabeth emphasizes Mary's faith there in verse 45. She says, And blessed is she that believed. Our faith, the Bible tells us that we should increase in our faith. We should study and, and seek the Lord and build our faith. And, and she was a believer. Blessed is she that believed. She could have rejected this word the angel brought to her. She could have not been looking for the coming of the Messiah. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. And Mary, because Mary believed the word of the Lord, she experienced the power of the Lord in her life. In verse 41 and verse 44, we see the amazing response of Elizabeth's unborn son. Now, this is remarkable. And for all those who think that, that a, a baby in the womb does not conscious and does not hear, there's a fully uh, conscious person. Please notice that in verse 41, the Bible tells us, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, when she heard Mary's voice, not only did she hear and perceive, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now that word is interesting there, and it is very similar to the word used of the twins that struggled in the, the, the Jacob and Esau. The same Hebrew word used there in this Greek word are, are similar. This, this commotion that went inside, on inside of, of Mary, and I'm, I'm far outside of my boundaries talking about such a thing, and you ladies would know that. Uh, us men have no concept whatsoever about uh, uh, childbirth or the movement of a, of a baby within it. But this, this movement was different and Mary was, was conscious of it and, and perceived it. And she uh, knew that there was uh, th this confirmation there. Even before his birth, John rejoiced in Jesus Christ, just as he did in his adult earthly ministry. Remember, John will say later, if we've already looked at it, he that must increase, but I must decrease. There he is. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In John 3, verse 28, I am not Christ, but I am sent before him. He knows his place. And even here, we see him perceiving and knowing. It is remarkable. We have no, no knowledge what all the, the unborn child knows and hears and comprehends. But John certainly did. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, he says. But the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And here, John, for the first time, hears the Messiah's and his Savior's voice, and he rejoiced even in his mother's womb. John would have the great privilege of introducing the Messiah to the world. Oh, what a privilege that is. But may I tell you that you have the great privilege of introducing the Messiah to people as well. Just as great a privilege. John hasn't called you to be John the Baptist, but he's called you to be you and to make Christ known where you'll go this week, wherever we go to take him with us and announce that the Messiah has come, the Savior is here. 
We see in verse 43 that Elizabeth refers to Mary as the mother of my Lord. Oh, again, I want to point out this believing remnant. Those who are looking for the Savior to come, the Messiah to come. And Elizabeth calls the infant, the, the baby in Mary's womb, her Lord. He is the Lord, the, the, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. She had the spiritual insight to recognize him as the long-awaited Messiah. We just sang it, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. We pray that again, don't we? He's come the first time fulfilling hundreds and hundreds of prophecies concerning his birth. We pray, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Elizabeth needed a Savior and was made righteous, as we've already mentioned, by believing in the promise of, of a coming Lord and Savior, the end of all the sacrifices that even her priest husband was involved in as a priest, the priestly sacrifices that the priest, like her husband, had offered over and over again, all of that pointed to the coming Savior. We see in verse 46 to 56 the text of Mary's praise. If you want to call it a song, we can call it a song, but the Bible says Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Mary's great desire was to magnify the Lord, not herself. We as God's people ought to emphasize what God emphasizes and not emphasize what he doesn't. So often we get things out of kelter, don't we? We emphasize the, the trivial or the insignificant and bypass the great glorious truths that are standing there looking at us in the face. And if Mary and Elizabeth can teach us to do that, We'd have a wonderful lesson here today to put emphasis. We ought to always do that as the people of God, the church of Christ. Always emphasize what the scriptures emphasize and uh, not trivialize or emphasize those things that are unimportant. It's amazing to me how off track sometimes people can get. And this is one of the seasons where they do. Never is it so obvious that in these so-called times that are set aside to recognize the birth of the Savior. Almost the entire world was celebrated and hardly any know anything about it. Or why? And, and that even deny the, 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 the one whose birthday is, is celebrated and try to make it into something else. But make no mistake about it, there would be no holiday season or season's greetings or anything else if Jesus Christ had not come to earth. He is the reason for the season. All those things you hear and say, this is about his birth. But how often it gets shoved away underneath the tinsel and the lights and the, the partying and everything but the celebration. Can you imagine people having a birthday party in your name, but you're not invited and not wanted there? And everybody get a gift but you. But all over the world, they'll be partying in, in, in Jesus' uh, birthday, and he'll have nothing to do with it. Outside, as we see there in the book of Revelation, knocking on the door, wanting to come in, may he... Be, have fellowship with us here. May this be his her church and our home. And all this Christmas season, may we seize the opportunity of the world's curiosity and bent towards celebrating it, and, but be careful to point them to the reason behind it all. The Savior has come. She wants to magnify the Lord, not herself. How much of even ministry today magnifies the individual, the preacher, the writer, the singer, the church, the program, instead of the Savior who is behind. If you leave here and never know my name, but you heard that Jesus Christ will save you from sin, may he be praised. Our job will be accomplished today. May you, you may be here as a visitor today, may not know the name of this church, 
It's absolutely insignificant, but the name of Jesus Christ is the most important name that you'll ever hear. We want you to know him. We want you to know why we're celebrating and why we point to the the birth, the coming of our Lord into this world. He did come, didn't he? And the date is insignificant. There's nothing holy about December the 25th. That's a, somebody marked that on the calendar. The fact Jesus Christ came, whether it's December or April or July the 4th, he did come to this world, and we ought to draw attention to it. God became flesh and dwelt among men. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, let's seize the opportunity to make Christ known. But I want you to, to know that she uses this phrase, he hath, he has. Some eight times as she recounts what God has done. And there, I want us to focus our attention in these last few moments on on the the three recipients of his blessing. Jesus Christ comes to bring blessing. His coming into the world has brought salvation. Something we could not purchase or earn or devise. God has devised salvation's plan and the love of God has brought it down to man, and we rejoice about that this morning. But there are three recipients I want us to focus on this blessing of our Lord. First of all, we see that Mary was blessed. God saved Mary just like he saves any sinner who comes to him for salvation. In verse 17, I want to point it out again. You ought to mark that in your Bibles. My spirit hath rejoiced, my soul hath rejoiced in God. My Savior, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world, and He was Mary's Savior. Only sinners need a Savior. Those who erroneously teach that Mary was sinless, a a sinless person doesn't need a Savior. Saved from what? If Mary's singing, praise God, my Savior, what is she being saved from? Her sin. Just like all of us are in desperate need of a Savior because of our birth, because of our our sinfulness. Mary, like all of us, needed cleansing from her sin. God not only saved her, but he, He chose her, gifted her, singled her out. And we see this choosing of the Lord to be the mother of the Messiah. Verse 48, He hath regarded the lowest state of His handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. He regarded her, which means he was mindful of her. If you regard someone, we often say they had no regard for the law. They had no regard for the, the, the sacredness of the situation. We respect is what we mean. And God looked down and saw her and singled her out and noticed her. He was mindful of her and looked with favor upon her. In fact, the Lord is looking down from heaven upon you tonight, today. Did you know that? The eyes of the Lord are in every place. He, he searches the earth. He looks into your heart. He knows you're down-sitting and uprising. He knows your thoughts from afar. Whatever you're contemplating or hiding or, or thinking about in your heart and mind today, the Lord knows it. It might as well be written on a billboard. There's no secrets to Him. This is why she marveled so. Knowing her situation, know her, knowing her low estate, a handmaiden was one of the, the lowest servants in the household that's what mary considered herself a handmaiden we notice that throughout the scriptures our lord will teach he that is least shall be the greatest he that is servant shall be the greatest of all paul continually referred to himself and the disciples all considered themselves slaves not the respected word that in the english rendering is servant that puts it on a little higher plane the word is slave 
the lowest of the low. We are the Lord's slaves. We go with his bidding. He's redeemed us. He's paid the ransom price, hasn't he? Didn't he buy us off the slave market of sin? Never to be sold again, set free. Then he breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. Out of all that he could have chosen, he picked her. She was overwhelmed by his choosing her. Child of God, I want you to know that in part of your worship today, in fact, in all of your worship, you should never get over the fact that he chose you in Christ before the foundations of the world. It's so high we can't even comprehend it. Some people often write to me and ask me about it. How do you explain it? I always respond, I cannot explain it. I can only bow down and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And with great humility wonder why he would have chosen me. I can comprehend just a bit of Mary's amazement here. And while we cannot comprehend this great mystery, we like Mary rejoice in his choosing us as well. I want you to know to be saved and to be chosen of the Lord is just as remarkable as Mary being singled out to be the mother of the Messiah. It's an amazing thing. Something we'll sing about throughout all of eternity and praise Him. Our voices will match Mary's one day when we say glory to God, glory to God in the highest. We see there in verse 49, for He that is mighty hath done great things to me. Remember when she asked, how will these things be? In verse 35, the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and shall overshadow thee, the power of the highest. And so she took him at his word and she says here in, this, in, in, uh, in verse 49, He that is mighty. I want you to know he's mighty to save today. Someone may be struggling hard with sin and say, I hear what you're saying about a Savior, but my circumstance is so unique. And so unusual, Pastor, you have no idea what my background is. It is absolutely does not matter to me. I will tell you that he is mighty to save. Paul says we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And then John tells us to as many as received him, to them gave he what? The power to become this. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. No one earns one bit of favor between, before the Lord. Mary didn't earn this place of being Lord Jesus Christ. Neither did Elizabeth and neither did you. Oh, what great grace. The sovereign, matchless, free grace of God. He worked mightily on her behalf. She believed God. She submitted to His will. And He performed a miracle that only He could do and used her as a vessel of honor to bring the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. I'm wondering today, does he have me? Does he have my body? Am I a vessel of honor? Mary's song is filled with references to the Old Testament, which shows she was saturated with the Word of God. That you can do. You can saturate your heart and mind with the Scripture so that when the Lord comes to bless you, you'll know from that deep reservoir of what you've saved up in your heart and life. Her song is filled with praise as one who's experienced the grace of God. Later in his ministry, in Luke chapter 11, verse 27, 
a woman will come up to Jesus and she'll say a remarkable thing. She'll say, blessed is the womb that bare thee and the one that nursed thee. And you know what Jesus' response to her was? Jesus responds to her in an amazing way. He says this, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. What a statement. Verse 48, we see her low estate, her fallen condition. All of us are fallen sinners just like Mary. And yet His grace can go farther than you've fallen. That's something to sing about this Lord's Day. But I want you to know the second group of recipients are, of His blessing is, is that's us, what the Lord has done for us. We see there in verse 50, And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. In the second verse of Mary's praise, she includes all of God's people who will fear Him. And that includes us down to this very hour. From generation to generation, she names three specific categories that God has blessed. The helpless, the humble, and the hungry. The gospel has always found these people. It's not for the rich and famous or the religion, the religious The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ always comes to those who cannot change their fallen condition, who realize it, who are helpless, and they throw themselves on His mercy. And then the humble and the hungry, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, what is the promise? Shall be filled. The question is, do you hunger? Do you thirst for this salvation? Oh, everyone that is thirsty, let him come. Even if you have no money to buy, Isaiah tells us, come and receive of the Lord. Mary saw the Lord turning everything upside down, the weak being made strong, the humble scattered the proud, and the Lord's grace. But I want you to notice not only what God did for Mary as a recipient and for us. We notice in verses 54 through 55 what Mary sings about what God does for Israel. We see there in verse 54, He hath helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spake to our fathers, Abraham into his seed forever and Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. In spite of Israel's pitiful condition at this time, spiritually blind, horrible circumstances in the, the uniform worship of Israel, the nation was still God's servant and he would fulfill all of his promises through them. He would remember his mercy and keep his promise. In Psalm uh, 98, O oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation, and righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Were it not for Israel, we would not have a Savior Were it not for Israel and God bringing to Abraham and making him a father of the the 12 tribes of Israel and bringing Israel and through through the promises, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus would not have been born into this world. Mary stayed with Elizabeth until John was born and then went back home to, to Nazareth. By then it was obvious that she was expecting herself. No doubt she met with ridicule and gossip as she went back to her humble place. Why had she left in such a hurry? Why was she gone three months? You know the gossip. You know all the talk that was obvious on people's hearts and minds. It was then that God gave the good news to Joseph and 
instructed him in what to do there in Matthew chapter 1. God works his will through unlikely people in unlikely places. Our past is no part in it. It doesn't matter. God's gospel, his grace can come to any of us, to you this morning. We're to humble ourselves as Mary did and allow him to use these bodies. Have you invited the Lord Jesus Christ to rule over you, to save you, and to do with you what he will? In all this, we see that God is always at work, always bringing to pass his will silently, individually, inwardly, often with small things and out-of-the-way places, without all the fanfare and the resources that we think are so necessary. He's at work wherever his word is preached, and I have great confidence that when the gospel is preached this morning that he's opening the hearts of those who need a Savior. Only you can decide that. Has the Holy Spirit shown you your need for a Savior? Would you go to him and tell him your need? Trust in him and him alone to save you? I ask you this morning, have you received him? The good news has come. Christ has come. Have you received him? To as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice at Mary's praise. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that the Savior has come. And I pray this morning that you would open hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel. Those that you've shown their need of the Savior. You've shown them their sin. Your word today, like a a lance, like a scalpel, like a sword, has pierced and divided the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I pray, Lord, that those who feel the weight of their sin would come to you by faith and receive the glorious sacrifice on their behalf. Would you just tell them just now your need? Would you come to Jesus Christ? He's, he, he's here where two or three are gathered. There I am in the midst of them. He's promised to bless his word as it's preached. Would you receive it by faith? Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.